Perhaps you have experienced shame in your life. Uh, maybe you have experienced quite a bit of shame in your life. I, I want you to imagine uh, if you were to walk through a wooded area in which there's a, a, a path that's been cut through and it's a path that's been worn down. It just tends to be the same path traveled person after person after person. Maybe shame for you is that worn path. And that worn path may take you to condemnation time and time and time again. Today, we want to talk about shame, but we want to look at it no longer as something that is just condemnation, but a new path, a new direction, a new opportunity for you out there to not be led into condemnation, but to see it as an invitation, an invitation to grace. And so we are so glad that you're here with us. Uh, I am with Man, a guy with a full head of hair that if I could trade my beard for two minutes to look <laughs> in the mirror and see that, I would. I absolutely would. <laughs> Dr. Paul, how are you, brother? I'm doing great. Wow. I love that intro. Um, I'm so thrilled that we're addressing this today because I, I believe it's part of the human condition that we have this, what I, I sometimes call the memory of Eden, like mm. this mm. deep abiding sense of how things should be, how we should yeah. be, how those we love should be, how the world should be. And since the fall of man, there is a far cry between what is and what ought to be. Yeah. Um, and that's where we feel shame, it, where we feel our brokenness. That, that Paul says in Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is what we do. Falling short is who we are, like our yeah. our inadequacy. And I think that that's, to me, that's uh, a way to think about the distinction between guilt, what we do, and shame, and who we are. And, and we're fundamentally defective. We're fundamentally broken. And we see that even with Adam and Eve, who who in some ways were, were perfect, but as soon as they recognized their nakedness, recognized their inadequacy, they immediately tried to cover it up because shame, as we know, is like the most painful negative emotion. Yeah. Okay. Love it. Let's dig in then. Is shame, can shame be a generational trait passed on? Can, yeah, well, can, sh can shame come down to the third and fourth generation? If so, what does that look like? Sure. The way I think about it, some people call, some people refer to shame and toxic shame. The way I would prefer to identify it is shared shame or unshared shame. So that when when shame gets into a family through um, abuse, addiction, abortion, alcoholism, uh, adoption, or uh, mental illness, suicide, there are uh, there are some families who are able to process that and deal with it publicly. If you look at the story, the Scarlet Letter, um, Hester Prynne is outed for having sex because she gets pregnant. And so she deals with her shame publicly. It's a shared shame. And she does well to bring up her daughter Pearl um, in, a, in a loving way. In contrast, the pastor who she's having the affair with is not outed. He, is, he doesn't share his shame and it ends up destroying him. And so if a family covers up their shame, if they're successful um, in denying the addiction or the abuse that's going on or 
or hiding it from the world, then that shame does infect the family and it creates certain uh, rules that the family lives by, like don't feel certain things, don't talk about certain things, don't acknowledge yeah. or don't let people see. And when those rules and that feeling of of being broken infects the family, yeah, I, I believe it can be passed on generation to generation. Wow. Okay. So when I'm doing like marriage counseling, I will have a couple in front of me and, and we won't, you know, we don't dig too, too deep into this, but we'll talk about like family of origin or, or uh, dynamics within families. And, and I, I will admit, I make it cleaner than it really is, but it's a great discussion with is most of the time we'll sit down and we'll talk and we go, okay, is your family a satellite family? And they'll go, okay, what's satellite family? Like, well, it's like, you love each other. Uh, you just live, you know, three states away maybe, or, and you kind of get your own thing, but you, it's not, you didn't move away because you're, you know, you hate anybody or you had some traumatic experience. There can be love there. It's good, you know, but you kind of get your own, your own sense of self and identity and you're kind of doing your own thing. You're a satellite. And I'm like, now who's here is like an, uh, uh, a herd family. And they'll be like, you know, and then they're looking, what's a herd family? I'm like, well, basically you move in a herd. Uh, there's a matriarch or a patriarch. And everyone knows what they think. And we all get together with the matriarch or patriarch. And and again, I will admit, I'm, I probably make it cleaner than it really should be identified. But asking the question, uh, you know, of that couple, who's experienced that? And sometimes shame can be an element of the herd family. And, and I wanted to ask you, it's kind of a two-part it, it, would you say that's more prevalent in that type of a family structure? Um, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it is. If it is, why does that seem to show up in that way? Uh, would be kind of my follow up in light of you kind of already addressing and touching on family. What would what would you say? Well, to that? At the heart of shame is alienation. It's feeling disconnected, and so uh, people who have shame are primed to find some group that they can be a part of that makes them feel not as though they're on the outside looking in, but they're on the inside looking out. And so um, your faith tradition and mine both um, are, are sort of like um, both kind of think they're the real deal. And so, mm -hmm. the, you know, the church of Christ and the Lutherans, they, they have the real truth. And so, <laughs> so if you're part of this group, then you're in the in crowd. Right. And, and and people who have felt shame know what it feels like to be on the outs. May, they know what it feels like to be less than or on the outside looking in. And so, yeah, so sometimes it's the herd, it's the family that, you know, we're going to keep the rest of the world at bay. We're going to cling to each other, especially in hard times, which has some beauty to it. I, I One way to think about it is uh, rather than satellite herd is, is uh, detached and enmeshed. And families, you know, are sometimes at the extreme of detached where they don't see each other for years. And right. some are enmeshed where they are, you know, talking multiple times every day on the phone or, you know, hanging out together. Um, and we don't want to, we don't want to assume that either one of those is necessarily driven by shame because shame can drive detachment because we will we will sometimes avoid things that remind us of our shame or enmeshment where we where we get over identified with a particular group that makes us feel like we're okay yeah. um but but you know the 
the reality is that whenever we feel that unshared shame that makes us feel disconnected from others, that's when we often will feel condemned. We'll feel like we are on the outs with others or with God even, that we feel uh, alienated from his affection or from the, you know, the in group, whatever that yeah. in group is. Wow. Okay. So before we go into the invitation part, which is the best part, the invitation to, to, to grace, I, I love that. Um, you've already set me up well again. Thank you for two guys who do not rehearse what they're going to talk about. I love how, how the Holy Spirit works this all out for us. Me too. We talked about religion, you know, and that's, I think that's what I would boil it down to is a relationship versus religion mm. and re re religion's ability to leverage um, shame upon people. And I'm really curious. I'd love to get your take. What, what is that dynamic about? What, what, if you, you know, if you, you've been in it where it was, and you've talked about it. I mean, it's like like really, really rough messages that were thrown at you growing up. And what on earth is that about? I, I have my own theory, but I'd really love to get, get your perspective first. Well, my belief is that shame, because it is so painful, is a powerful way to control others. Um, that if, if my wife can shame me... Um, then I'm likely to do whatever it is she asks of me. Right. If a parent shames a child, like you hush that crying or I'll give you something to cry about, or right. you, know, you eat your you eat your vegetables because there are kids starving to death in you know Africa, <laughs> wherever. Right. Um, right. If, if we can shame someone, like um, like like you and I may have, I certainly got some from my my family and from my faith family that the. the religious community, um, it's very powerful. And if you see, if you see a family where the children are totally in line, completely, um, you know, hitting all the notes and, and measuring up, then it, it's a possibility that shame is ruling the day in those families that yeah. there is such a commitment to not stepping outside the lines because you don't want to be shamed that, um, some of the freedom to be able to um, be authentic is undermined by a feeling that it's not okay to be who you are. Yeah, right on, right on. And I would totally agree. Shame is, is leveraged to be able to control behavior modification. So God's grace in preaching the gospel in its most pure sense, if you are in a position of authority or leadership within the church, you've effectively given up the control that you is not rightly yours to begin with. And they're quite literally handed over to Jesus for Jesus to do the work that Jesus does in somebody. You can't control them at that point, but I agree. It is a, it is spot on spot on. So in society and culture, then we see this play out as well with shame. Yeah. Shame. Then what we're identifying is shame is then a weapon used to subdue, used to control whether it's on our family level, whether it's on a marriage level, whether it's in our institutional level, whether it's in our churches, now even in society, if you can make people feel guilty, you can control them, how they act and subdue them. Do you, do you have any further comments on what that looks like within now the context of shame as we're, you know, so we're steadily going 30,000 feet up for just for a moment of how it's leveraged within society. Well, yes. Um, you know, the, the, assault on um, 
law enforcement or um, toxic masculinity or the government or the 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 religious right or the radical left um, we tend to want to um, give messages of shame that you're not being who you should be because as you said it is is it, it's our attempt to control through coercion through making people feel that they are bad or evil and and people do it without even being aware of it yeah. um, and even on social media, people will make posts that are very shaming without even, you know, being aware how inflammatory those posts are and how how they heap shame on people who see things differently than they do. And it's no wonder that people will polarize further and vilify one another when the shame is being tossed back and forth. Yeah. Well, and I think what we're touching on is that eventually shame inherently destroys at some level relationships, authenticity of relationships. If there's enough shame and you have me modifying my behavior, that's not heartfelt. It's just you controlling me on one level. On the other hand, if we put it in the context of the church, some people, they finally break and they break bad and they go, you know what? I don't want you. I don't want your church. I don't want Jesus. So then you destroy a relationship of faith. If you look at it in society, um, where I think what it robs people of is the ability to have compassion, to want to hear another person's story, because I'm only going to feel, as long as I feel guilty, you have control over my behavior. The moment I stop feeling guilty, you lose control over my behavior. But what did we miss out on is nothing ever came from my heart. So now I lose the ability to have compassion on something maybe I should quite literally have compassion so do you have any advice, you know, while we, we're, what we've identified is this happening on every level. Yeah. What would be your advice to the follower of Jesus to rightly navigate this in such a way that we are motivated, motivated by compassion, sure. we are motivated by grace? What would you say to that? Right. Well, we have to give up our desire, our need, our impulse to be right. We have mm. to step away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Mm. Um to, to stop speaking from our heads and start communicating from our hearts. Because that's really the only thing that will save the day is when, when, when I can acknowledge that we belong to one another, even though we are at odds in the way <clears throat> we're approaching a particular topic or the way we see a particular uh, moral issue, we have to, I believe, we have to be... Um, able to look beyond our theology or our our position to the fundamental truth that we are all cut from the same cloth and that I have no basis for which to judge you. Um, there's an old saying that I heard growing up that was, except for the grace of God, there go I. Mm. So whether it was a murderer or um, uh, an adulterer or a, phalan a, a uh, embezzler, um, the saying was like, there but for the grace of God go I. I have no ground on which to stand that allows me to look down on my neighbor, on my fellow. Um, the other saying is that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, that mm -hmm. we cannot afford to see ourselves as superior or better than, because again, that's what, that's what shame does is it makes people feel that they're better than or worse than. 
more than or less than, smarter than or dumber than, you know, it's it's it, it divides us based on more or less right or wrong, good or bad, rather than allowing us to be, as Paul proposes in the first three chapters of Romans, we're all dumb sheep that have gone astray. Dumb sheep. So well, we don't need to edit. We don't need to bleep that out. That was good. That was good. Dumb sheep. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. I know. I know. I love it. I love it. Um, so I think I think what you're also touching on is that shame quite literally is living under the law and its best form is self-righteousness. Mm. It's just looking. I feel a little less shameful today because I'm at least better than the guy next to me. Exactly. Okay. Today's yeah. a good day. Oh, I failed tomorrow. And that person over there is better than me. I'm lower today than I was yesterday. So so in, in your introduction, you talked about condemnation. And, and the law allows us to condemn ourselves or let the enemy accuse us, or it allows us to condemn others. And um, Jesus, even when faced with a woman who was caught in the very act of, of adultery, um, and was brought by accusers, people who were wanting to condemn her to death or to capture, to, to uh, ensnare Jesus in, a, in a, a debate. He was able to get them to step away from um, accusation and to look to introspection so that they, one by one, gave up their right to yeah. him. And in that moment, um, Jesus says to the woman, woman, where are your accusers? And she says to him, no one here, Lord. And he says, mm. neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. The only way that we can actually go and sin no more is if we step away from shame-based motivation mm. and enter in to belonging. And when she saw that look of love in Jesus' eyes, it changed her because in her deepest moment of shame, she found grace in her deepest sense of alienation. She found affection in her deep moment of rejection. She found acceptance. And that's really, you know, that's what, that's what we, we believe that shame while it's, uh, it's an opportunity for condemnation. It's an invitation for grace. I love it. Okay. So somebody's out there listening to us. Someone's going to catch this podcast. And they're they're in a mess in a real way. Yeah. Can you dive in a little bit deeper now? We've we've hit it on every level. What is that turn for someone listening to us today? What does that invitation look like? What is the what is the uh, the tape that you want a person to begin to put in their mind and begin to hit play on and hit you know repeat? What does that Beautiful. look like? So I, I said that, that shame leads to alienation. And the word shame, S-H-A-M-E, the, the middle letter is A. So we can think of alienation as at the heart of shame. Mm. But to step away from, the, from alienation and shame, we have to get back to authenticity. If you think about the, the, mm. the prodigal son who shamed his dad by saying, so pops, I don't, want, I don't care about you, but I want your money. So right. give it up. And he goes far away. So he shames his dad in a very real way. You can imagine like, Hey, where's your boy? Oh, he want, he, he wanted my money more than he wanted me. Right. Um, but, but he ends up shaming himself by ending up without anyone to give him anything. 
in a pig pen so hungry that he wants to eat the pods the pigs are eating. Mm. But in that moment when he's deep in shame and no one will, will lift him out of it, no one will give him anything, he hits bottom, as we might call it. And in the words of, of the Greek um, and in the words of the King James Version, he came to himself. And what I believe is that when we're in the depths of shame, we can either um, feel our alienation and go toward annihilation where we feel like the world's better off without us. And, and shame can do that. Shame can make you end it all. But what, what the prodigal did, rather than annihilating himself and deciding it was not life was not worth living, he came to himself and activated the part of him that was hungry for love, for food, for acceptance. And he, he tells himself, what am I doing here? In my father's house, there is plenty to eat. Even the servants have enough. So he, yeah. he gives himself a little pep talk. He says, I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me a servant. And in that little pep talk, he moves himself to be authentic, giving away all of his pretenses, all of his entitlement, all of his pride, um, yeah. all, all of his pushing, and he get, he activates his authentic self. He gets up and shows up. He fesses up, and he signs up to serve. And if we want to step away from shame, we have to deal with the reality that we are unworthy. Like, that's mm. just it. Like, yeah. we don't, if we try to avoid our shame by covering up or withdrawing or or blaming or justifying, all of those maneuvers are only a band-aid on the deep wound of shame. We, If we want healing, we have to open up the wound and let it be seen for what it is. And when we do that, then we can get that healing ointment of grace. It can be poured on us like the father poured affection on his prodigal son when he shows up. And that's really, you know, that's where we're, we're, we're challenged because, um, because every cell in our body wants to cover over our brokenness, cover over our wounds to make an excuse for it or blame somebody else or, or hide it away, cover it up, compensate. But yeah. Jesus leads the way hung naked on a, on a tree scorned, ridiculed, uh, def defiled. He, for the joy set before him, endured the cross and despised the shame. He disregarded the shame. He did not let it control him. And that's really what, what the shame that we feel threatens to control us unless we embrace it, if you will, in the way that Jesus embraced the cross. He took it up and he says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, his own self-protective urge, and take up his cross, follow me. That's where life happens. That's where grace is, when we show up just as we are and authentically um, walk that walk with Jesus, um, being willing to, to disregard our shame for joy that comes through belonging. Beautiful. I, I think you've made you made one particular point that I'd like to to go back and highlight that I think is so important. You talked about shame. Sometimes in its worst form, it ends in our annihilation. 
And I, I want to make sure that our, our listeners are catching that Satan's role per Jesus, his own words, is to steal, kill, and destroy. Yes. And so for folks to realize when, as a follower of Jesus, when you're feeling tons of shame and you feel like, and you may even believe you're 110 inside your own head, and this is just about you, and it's just about your mistake, and it's, is there an element to that? Yes. However, don't sleep on the fact that there's a very real spiritual reality that desires to steal, kill, and destroy. If it can't get you to absolutely your own annihilation of your literal life, which it will take, yeah. it also will go with destroying the annihilation of your marriage, the annihilation of your peace, the annihilation of your joy, the annihilation of your identity. It will take, steal, kill, and destroy all of that. And I just want to make sure folks are catching. When you're talking about shame, there's there's a very real, powerful spiritual reality to that. Right, yeah. We And, and this is the irony uh, that no matter how godly you become, no matter how far you progress in your spiritual journey or psychologically, every day we fall short of God's glory. I'm, I'm going to get to speak at a... Mm. Um, at a conference on mental health on, on Friday. I guarantee you, um, then as I will at the end of this podcast, I'll have thoughts like, wow, I wish we'd said this, or I wish that had been highlighted better. The more you put yourself out there, the more you want to be all that God has for you to be, you're going to feel your shame. You're going to feel that shortcoming, that sense that I've fallen short of my ideal, what I wish to be able to do when I meet with people I'm frequently feeling like I wish I could do more. And in that sense of shame, I can either feel condemnation or as you said at the beginning, I can see it as an invitation to find grace. I love it. You know, and I love what you just said about Jesus, how Jesus, when it comes to shame, um, would take all that on the cross and quite literally look shameful on the cross. Oh yeah. Um, and, and I, and I love your connection back to the prodigal son. You know, two of my favorite details with that whole thing is this idea that a father would run out and meet his son outside of the community. Mm. And for those of you out there that are struggling, I really would encourage you to read that story because that's from Jesus's own words, describing the heart of the father. And it is the father running out to meet the son before he gets into the middle of the community. Why? Because what will people do? People love to judge. People love to talk. They love to point fingers. So he's saying that the father would meet this son outside of the community for him to run, by the way, is shameful. So they would say that the father is shaming himself to go meet his own son. And then my favorite detail, here's the son. He's rehearsed what he's going to say, and he only gets through half of it. He doesn't even get through his whole thing. Because yeah, yeah. the old the old man has already wrapped his arms around him, smothered him, as you said, with grace, because Jesus wants relationship, not behavior modification. And yeah. he wants to meet us. And, and that's the father's will, too. I love that story. And I love your connection, though, back to what Jesus would become. So let Jesus be your shame because he already did it. Let him have it. You know, yeah. love that. Beautiful. And, Fantastic. So uh, as we're wrapping this up, okay, uh, any any updates other than, of course, you have a sounds like a very cool speaking engagement. Um, anything else going on with Hidden Mana 
Anything else you want to share with us with any of the ministry stuff you have going on? Sure. Um, yeah, we will be going back to the Walls Unit um, uh, next month to do another couples workshop there where the warden lets the women come in for the day. And um, we're um, in the process of setting dates for our couples retreat. Uh, we've been postponing it. We're building a little uh, prophet's house out behind our house and that, another little bedroom, bathroom and kitchen. And so as soon as that's done, then we'll be able to set our date. But if any, if anyone's interested in a couples retreat or in investing in uh, partnering with us in the prison ministry, feel free to reach out uh, via hiddenmana.org. I love, by the way, that part of your heart and your ministry to go in and do prison ministry. And the thought that I, I would have to imagine that shame is pretty prevalent in that context. And you oh. guys are you guys are offering a message that while someone is captive physically on one hand, you're you're quite literally bringing them something that's setting them free mentally and emotionally and spiritually. I, I just love that you guys do that. Well, it's it's a great pleasure. And Terry and I, my wife, uh, Terry, and I often, uh, pretty much every time, feel like we get more than we give. Mm. Um, it's such a, you know, Jesus just meets us there and we get to see um, his love for those people. And he just fills our hearts with gratitude for the opportunity to be there with them. And they're they're ever so grateful, too. It's just, you know, a lot of those women... Um, don't even get support from their families. Their families are shaming them for staying with a husband who has done sometimes unthinkable things. And so um, for us to be able to support them in their attempt to stay faithful to their vows in the worst possible scenarios is a great privilege. Wow. Paul, would you mind closing us in a word of prayer? Love to. God, we, um, we are nothing. We can do nothing apart from you. Every breath comes from you. We will never, by our own righteousness, build a stairway to heaven. Mm. Um, our, our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And in our best moments, we fall woefully short of who we are intended to be. So in those moments when we actually see our defective and broken state. Let us see it as an invitation to grace, to crawl up in your lap, dear daddy God, and let you hold us when we deserve to be cast off, to be rejected, and to be despised. Let us receive your acceptance, your affection, your love for us because of Jesus and what he did as your beloved son to make a way for us to belong to you. We thank you for him, and it's his name we pray. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.